Welcome to Stop, Hack, and Roll, a podcast about pushing pen and paper games like they're a payload approaching the enemy base. I'm Brandon. And I'm James. Today we'll be talking about the Blizzard game Overwatch as an RPG and as a tactical tabletop experience. It's high noon. As a disclaimer... We're going to be talking a lot about Overwatch today. We try to keep it as accessible as we can, but it may be a little hard to follow if you haven't played yet. Or if you aren't at least a little bit familiar with video games like Overwatch or Team Fortress 2. We'll make sure that next episode doesn't require knowledge beyond the RPG goodness we hopefully all share. Do we want to start talking about our lives being consumed by Overwatch? I mean, that's that's what's going on in my life. I've had, I've had three weeks now of solid work days. I haven't had a day off in 14 days. Oh, that's terrible. Or more, more than 14 days. I've had a couple days where I only worked for a couple hours, mm-hmm. and then I came home. But, yeah, it's been crazy at work. And pretty much I've been going to work, and then I've been coming home and playing Overwatch. Yeah, I can definitely see that. I've, I've been having another bizarre thing happen that I realized. I've been watching a ton of Critical Role, Oh, Which oh is... yeah, I watched a couple episodes of that. Okay, I, I really enjoyed it. It's a great... T- like, honestly, it makes me want to play D&D just all the time. Uh, yeah. But the guy who runs it, uh, Matthew Mercer, is the voice of McCree. He, like, apparently goes, It's high noon, and freaks everybody <laughs> out. But I was just like, today I was getting stuff done, and I had the video cast on, and then I went sat down and played some Overwatch. I went back to the video cast. I hopped on Twitter. I saw that, and I was like... I spent eight hours with Matthew Mercer today. And <laughs> that is really weird. Okay, so we should probably say, for the people who aren't aware of what we're talking about, Overwatch is a game put out by Blizzard, the same company who makes uh, World of War... World of War? No. World yeah. of Warcraft World of War- and Starcraft Warcraft. and Diablo and Hearthstone. Yeah. Heroes of the Storm. And it is, I think the best way I've heard it explained is that it's a character-based first-person shooter. So you play one of many characters. 21, I think. That sounds about right. And you compete against each other in either capture point type matches where you're trying to control locations. um, Or like what 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 I keep calling cart pushing missions where you push a car or a truck or something by standing next to it, to an endpoint, that's how you win. And we're definitely not going to spend the whole time talking about the video game Overwatch. Oh, we, we definitely are. Except we're also going to be talking about the role-playing game Overwatch. and Which how doesn't we... exist yet. Right, exactly. We're going to be talking about how we can play a game like this as a tabletop game. Potentially this specifically, but also maybe attaching some greater lessons as we struggle through it to how we can create this kind of game in general yeah i think it's i think it's really good because i think it's it's a prime candidate for that because people have taken games like dragon age and turned them into pen and paper games and that's really natural because they're already role-playing games they're already focusing on that for many of those games the gameplay is almost secondary it's the characters and the world and the story and the role playing, the character building. They're already very similar to how you would play kind of a standard role playing game. And so that's too easy. 
Yeah, the, the thing that I always see people deciding that they're going to play as a role-playing game is Final Fantasy, which, you know, I, I'm no stranger to Final Fantasy, but but how is that not D&D with the, with the names changed a little? Yeah, and so what I like about trying to play Overwatch as a pen and paper game is that because it's it's not a, it's not a role playing game. It's a first person shooter. You're fighting other players directly. You're in combat, but it is a character driven first person shooter. And so you're not just playing. It's not like Battlefield where you're playing the artillery guy or the rifleman or whatever. How dare you, James? Grizzled white guy is the yeah. best character I've ever played in my entire life. Right, but which one? I I think he stands alone as Grizzled White Guy. Okay. Yeah. So the thing that's nice about Overwatch is that you're not just playing a class, you're playing characters. And those characters, are the character, at, the, at the risk of repeating myself, those characters have character. They are characters. Um, they are characters. And so... It's characteristic of them. Yeah, it's characteristic of them. Even though it isn't necessarily relevant to the game as you're playing the video game they do have character they do have backgrounds they have stories they have conflicts they have interesting and the whole universe in fact has an interesting compelling story so the story of overwatch is blizzard has been trying to make another mmo for a while that will recreate the success of world of warcraft and they wanted to do something that was a little bit more modern something more battlefieldy and for like seven years now or something like that, they've been working on this game and they just couldn't get it to work. They just kept saying like, we just couldn't find the fun. We couldn't find where the mm. game was fun. Yeah. It was just, it was, it was just the same thing again. It wasn't fun. It was just grindy. And so they abandoned the whole thing. And eventually that team went on to make Overwatch. And so Overwatch has all this depth because originally it was going to be a role playing game. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. And so that's where all this story is, because they had done all this work. They had paid all these writers to write this world. And so you can't just, like, walk away from all that content. And so that's where they've slowly been seeping it into this first-person shooter. And so as a quick rundown, the game is set in the future after this major company called Omnica, I want to say has created all these work robots and the robots decided they didn't like being work robots anymore and they rebelled. So there's this, so the governments of earth put together this organization called overwatch designed to fight the robots because they were special people who had, I guess, different, different extreme abilities, people and or monkeys, people and or, or scientists. And so this Overwatch organization fights the fights the robots. Eventually, there's a peace that's brokered. The robots go live in like their own little section of Australia or different countries. Or there's different places all over the world where they live, um, and sort of everything settles down. There's a big economic collapse, so people are worried about that. Life moves on. Overwatch kind of still exists as an organization, and there's some accusations of corruption. And ultimately, the two characters who are the leaders of the organization are killed, and the whole group is disbanded and banned by the government. Because these are people who are who were previously above all the world governments. They were allowed to sort of supersede all the laws to fight this war that is now over. 
So then the story of the game picks back up with all the characters being recalled because there's this conflict. And spoilers, the two characters who were the heads of Overwatch aren't dead. <gasps> Gasp. One of them is Soldier 76. Oh, okay. And the other one is Reaper. Oh, okay. So, so alongside the release of the game and leading up to it, um, Blizzard l- released these character videos or, or little vignettes, which are really well made. And actually, I would really honestly just watch like a movie. It looks like Pixar. Like even throughout it the does. game, it looks like Pixar, which is probably the thing that most made me feel that I had to get it. Yeah. And so one of the stories is about Winston, who is this, he's a monkey. <laughs> he's, he's a gorilla. Um, and sorry. James just <laughs> hears the word monkey and begins to laugh. I, I would just like okay, to make that so an official, in, officially known thing. It's this joke in the in the vignette. In the, I'm going to cut this part. Okay. <laughs> I need to explain to you why I'm laughing. Okay. In the vignette, um, he's he's being attacked by Reaper. He says something like, uh, like, like, what? Are you, you're, what? Why did? You, how did you think you could beat me? You're just a monkey. And and uh, Winston has like a uh, prototype of his shield, mm-hmm. and it doesn't work yet. It had previously exploded, and so he throws it at Reaper. And he, and as it's about to explode, he just looks at him and goes, "I'm not a monkey, I'm a scientist." That's so terrible. And so whenever anyone, <laughs> so now whenever anyone explains that Winston is a monkey or a gorilla, I go, "He's not a gorilla. He's a, He's a scientist. scientist." Okay, okay, I can see that. Winston is sort of positioned in this one vignette as a he's maybe the the caretaker of the overwatch facility um i think he's in space and he gets attacked by reaper who has come with enemy soldiers to hack the computer and collect information about where the former overwatch agents are presumably so he can round them up brainwash them and turn them into an evil army and so then the core conflict of the game is sort of around this story of Soldier 76 and Winston reassembling the sort of good guy Overwatch characters and fighting the bad guy Overwatch characters. Which, some of this you might be able to glean by playing the game. Yeah, but not really. But not, not really. Um, I mean, it's there's like there's crazy little things. Like, there's one of the maps in the game is literally the set of that vignette. Oh, that's cool. So the, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but there's one of the, the uh, one of the maps where you start is a lab, and you can see it's got Winston's suit in the background. Okay, yeah. Um, and there's a window up top, or there's some glass that's broken because in one of the vignettes it got broken. Right, right. And so it's cool that there's like all these little things where you see evidence of uh, the characters and the story bleeding into this first-person shooter yeah i think that 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 is what makes it most interesting is that you've got a lot of story and a lot of implied story that you can look at um which i think is what elevates it as a possibility for a game over some of the more shallow games that exist out there yeah i mean like i said you could make a first-person shooter that was basically battlefield and people play war themed pen and paper games oh yeah but there's nothing there's that it would be hard to find something that would make it inherently a battlefield game and not just a war game it would be very difficult to make an overwatch game that didn't 
feel like Overwatch because the characters are just oozing that story in everything about all of their abilities, all the attacks, all the settings, everything about the game just oozes that story. Yeah. So let's start talking just kind of big picture what this kind of a game would look like. Here's the question that I have. When you sit down to play a game of Overwatch, the RPG, are you sitting down to play a match of Overwatch, or are you sitting down to play individual scenes and adventures in the same way that you might if you were playing Shadowrun or something like that? I think it could really easily go either way. That's what I was thinking as well, and I think that it's worth discussing a little bit which of those would be more interesting, or just what we're trying to do right now. Yeah, I think, in fact, actually, this is something a little bit about me, but I would be really interested to see a game that is both. That is a story game where you play as the characters on on grand adventures that also can drop into gameplay that looks a whole lot like the game. Because I like games... (laughs) Personally, I like pen and paper games that use multiple systems and have frame shifts. I can see that because that's interesting to me. So here's what I was thinking about in terms of creating the match style game. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I think that the going off on an adventure style game is very obvious. Like once you have a system in place, then you are going and doing that. But I think that it's important to say in a regular match sort of game that you might not be full on having deep sea, deep, scene-by-scene interaction like you normally would in a different RPG. So I'm going to point to a couple of RPGs that I think do something that could be similar, which might be worth looking at as a sort of as a jumping-off point. Okay. Uh, The two games that I'm going to refer to are 14 Days by Hannah Schaefer and Goalposts and Gridirons by Taylor from Riverhouse Games. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so these are two very different games. One is yeah, about. I was gonna say. Yeah, it, it, these. I'm only kind of vaguely familiar with both of them, but I, pr- I promise that there's similarity enough to connect them. Okay, take me through it. All right, I'll bring it. I'll take it from the top. Uh, 14 days is about dealing with migraines over two weeks, and it's very much about the span of time. So obviously, a first-person shooter. Yeah, it's exactly like a first-person shooter, except that it's about migraines. <laughs> Uh, But instead of really deeply role-playing any specific scene, you're looking at things on a day-to-day idea. So Mm -hmm. you're saying, today my intention was to do this, and you roll some dice and you get some stuff. It's a wonderfully put-together system. Uh, And then you describe essentially the fallout. So if migraines took over and you weren't able to see your grandmother, then you explain how that might connect to your relationship. As opposed to sitting down and doing a scene where I'm playing the character, you're playing the grandmother, and we really get into that. Are migraines, in this situation, the robots? No. You were trying to see your grandma, but the robots took over. Yes, yeah, that's definitely what it is. Uh, And Goalposts and Gridirons is another, this is another two-player game that is a football game. And so what you're doing in that is instead of role-playing out the individual moments and saying... And then I run down the field and I smash into the other guy and I throw a lateral throw. You're instead doing, on a broad picture, what that down is looking like. Okay. And so these games are focused more about the span of time than about any one individual instance. And I think Mm -hmm. that that could be valuable in terms of doing a match of Overwatch. 
Okay, so you're looking to capture more of the story and the spirit of the match rather than any individual moment in combat. Absolutely. It's kind of pulling back and forth on that instead and seeing okay. that overall gestalt. I was uh, chatting with uh, Hannah Schaefer and, uh, and Taylor on Twitter just the other day, and Hannah suggested the term uh, storyboard. And that, I think, is what really would work for a match of really mm -hmm. any sport or any game like that is taking it as a more storyboard approach. What happened, then what happened? For something like Goalpost and Gridirons, which I'm a little bit more familiar with, Okay, that's a two-player game. Yes, it Were is. Were you thinking that you would keep the Overwatch game version of it also two-player, or try to expand that to something larger? I could see it working really well as a two-player game. Because, because Goalpost and Gridirons does have that character element, so even though it's... It's you versus one other person. You are controlling a team, much like the two teams in Overwatch, and you do have named characters. So I could see you would be controlling a group of characters from Overwatch. Yeah, exactly. And if you did have a larger party that's also doing adventuring stuff, then maybe you essentially play a two-player game with the four players versus the GM mm -hmm. working together as a team. Okay, I could see that, yeah. That's kind of how That's I was conceptualizing it, but it could be that you're looking at something entirely different. And so, so oh, I definitely am. lay it on let's me. Get to that. What's coming next? I want to hear more about the migraine game. Okay, about, about 14, 14 days. days. Yeah. Tell me more about how you would take a game about migraines and make that about Overwatch. Okay. So I was looking mostly at the genre of the game, kind of the overall rules. Hannah's described it as being a role-playing game with some kind of some firmer board game elements to it. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is a potentially useful thing. How okay. I would conceptualize this is you have a field in front of you on a piece of paper. And you are rolling and moving forward or rolling and moving back based upon essentially which characters you're putting forward. Maybe even as a hidden choice thing. Is that a thing that is already part of 14 Days? No. Okay. Uh, this is definitely is not out. straight up a hack of 14 Days. Okay. I just wanted to... I, I couldn't pulling... really think of other games that had that sort of feel. Um, okay. You're pulling the sort of framework and, and, and time scale parts of it. Yeah, because time is very important in 14 Days and also very important in Overwatch. Mm -hmm. uh, and so if we say, this is the first 20 seconds, during the first 20 seconds, what happens? Uh, and okay. then that's pretty interesting. We, I mean, obviously this is without a dice system yet, mm -hmm. uh, but we can get there or not, depending upon how in depth we want to go on this. So were you thinking that you, like you just said, uh, a couple seconds, were you thinking that it would be, let's talk about what happens in the first like 20 seconds of the game. Like we run through this wall, we, we break through a door and we get into a building or, and then, like, figure out what happens Fallout-wise because of that? Or were you thinking you would do sort of larger, um, maybe, like, chunks of time equal to what would be the equivalent of the Overwatch matches? Where it's like, we had this combat in this location, and what happened, let's talk about some story things, and then what's the Fallout because of that? I was initially picturing it as spans of time within a single match. Okay. So that you say, for example... I move forward with these three characters and then you see what your opponent has put forward and in that moment you do some kind of a, a role because there's all of these counters to different people mm -hmm. and different roles and things like that that would need to be fleshed out. But 
if you, then from that you see the fallout. And okay. so you can see, like, hey, we moved the payload 20% of the way there. And without actually knowing too much about 14 Days, I can see how, because we're because Overwatch is a game that has characters, they, they, I mean, they interact with each other in the game, and they, they feel like people. And so if they do a thing, great. If they do a thing well, they get excited. And if they do a thing poorly, they get angry. And so, like, the emotional repercussions of their actions are things that are that appear in the game, and so having a game like 14 Days, which deals with the mental repercussions of the migraine, I can see that, that, that sort of working out really well with, we failed to take this objective, now we're really upset, or like, I'm frustrated, or I wish I could have done better. Yeah, and I think taking some time to do some of those in-character discussions and stuff like that between objective moments could be something that's really valuable. Um, with 14 Days, it's I love this game, James. You and I are going to have to play this at some time. Yeah. It's been on my list of games to get one person to sit down and play with me for quite a while at that now. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I have, I've, I've been aware of it for a while, and I've been aware of people like Hannah Schaefer making those kinds of games, and I've been very interested, but I haven't had any chance to do it. It's super cool. One of these days, we're going to do like a stop, hack, and roll, gets together and plays two-player games for an entirely too long day. So I was on... Twitter the other day, talking to people about Overwatch. I'm a cause... little concerned about how many of our transitions are, I was talking on Twitter the other day. Look, I spend a lot of time on Twitter. And so, the thing I found the other day, which I will put in the show notes, is some people have started, because Overwatch is literally everywhere, uh, they've started making cool artwork and fan art and, and stuff, and the one that I found which sort of was indirectly what inspired me to pitch to you that we do this episode, was people making Lego versions of the characters from the game. Okay, so I've sent you the link to these two pictures, and why don't you tell people what you're looking at? All right, so I am looking at two pictures. They are little Lego creations. I can't imagine either of them would be over what, four inches yeah, tall? Like uh, but they are really well-done interpretations of two of the characters. Yeah. Uh, Bastion, a robot guy with a bird on his shoulder, and Zenyatta, who is a meditation healer person. Yeah. So these popped up in my Twitter feed the other day because someone was sharing them, because obviously they're pretty awesome. And Because our Twitter has literally turned into just Overwatch. Yeah, it went hard right turn from pen and paper games role playing games, to role playing games, role playing games straight into overwatch. overwatch. Um, and so I saw these pictures and my first thought was those are really cool. Uh, and I looked for more people who were making Lego overwatch characters. And my second thought was these look like mobile frame zero. I mean, these are too big for mobile frame zero, but, but they totally, especially the bastion looks totally like mobile frame zero. Yeah. So Mobile Frame Zero is a game that a lot of people might not know about. Yeah. And I actually don't know as much about it as I would like to know about okay, it. Okay, then I will tell you. Mobile Frame Zero Rapid Attack is a Lego tactics game by Vincent Baker and Joshua A.C. Newman that I found last November, last November when we went to Metatopia. Uh, I met Joshua Newman and was immediately attracted to his Legos. <laughs> And he is also just the coolest dude. Yeah. 
like just like effortlessly cool in a way that made me truly jealous. Yeah. Mobile Frame Zero is a backbone system for how to play a tabletop sort of Warhammer style tactics game. But rather than selling miniatures to play the game with, they said, wouldn't it be cool if we just included instructions and guides for how to make and design your own miniatures out of Lego pieces? Right, which is really, really cool if you grew up playing Legos and have a giant bin in your parents' basement filled with Legos. And I did, and now it's in my house. So it's which is ideal. Which is ideal because I've been making robots. I'm sure your mom was thrilled. They were very confused as to why I wanted <laughs> wanted my bin full of Legos. The thing that's cool about it is because Legos are so interchangeable and you can snap things onto them. The whole system is designed so that you have sort of your core uh, set of robots, and then you can snap on extra guns. You can snap on extra sensors. You can snap on different things, and then they can get shot off in combat. And that's also interesting just in terms of looking at things like HP. There have been now a couple of games that have really interesting stuff going on as health lowers. I'm thinking of uh, the Seven Seas Spiral oh, yeah. that's going on, which looks really cool, and we'll talk about yeah, later sometime we'll, more about sometime it. we'll have to do it. Well, I, I know quite a bit about it because I've been obsessing over it a little bit, but yeah, it's a later episode. And uh, Threadbare also has the uh, removal of character body parts as they get damaged. Mm -hmm. The interesting thing that I love about the way that Joshua Newman makes games and makes everything is that, like Overwatch, they're filled with rich backstory. (laughs) Joshua Newman has a a Patreon, which I back, and one of the things he does regularly is release... he He just sits around and he writes about an alien planet and then thinks about what kind of aliens would live on that planet and what would their biology look like. And then based off of the cool biology he's come up with, what would their machines look like? What would their technology look like? What would their spaceships look like? What kind of combat would they get into? What kind of politics would they get into? And so there's these cool backstories built into the beginning of the book about of Mobile Frame Zero. So you can read about the different factions and why they're fighting each other. And they have guides for how to build different robots, and they suggest different company builds. They recommend you have certain numbers of different of the different kinds of focused robots, mechs. Um, you have, so you have some artillery, long-range focused guys, and some close-range guys, and some uh, sensor-heavy guys. And that started to sound, as I was thinking about this, all these things were sort of clicking together in my head. And so after seeing those pictures of the LEGO characters on Twitter... Uh, all these things started clicking together in my head that the build and the layout and the, like the organizational structure of companies in Mobile Frame Zero sounds a lot like the team builds in Overwatch, where you have attack characters and defense characters and support characters. Yeah, even just as you're describing this, it's sounding very, very similar. And in fact, the game itself includes uh, control points and... There are bases that you control in Mobile Frame Zero that up your score, and the higher your score, the, that increases the order you move in. And so that would be a really easy transition from that to just control points. Yeah, that I was actually going to say, there might not be a whole lot of hacking involved in this. Yeah, the sort of game end scenarios for Mobile Frame Zero are either you totally destroy all the other companies' mobile frames, mm-hmm. or... There's a doomsday counter 
which is really ominous. And the Doomsday Counter... More games should have Doomsday yeah. Counters. Yeah, and so the Doomsday Counter ticks down as you're going through the game. And when it hits zero, whoever has the highest score wins. In Mobile Frame Zero, the way you capture a control point is when only your frames are on the control point and no enemy frames are on it, then you control that point. And there's no reason you couldn't use that and just simplify the mechanic from the video game just because there's theoretically an extension of time. Yeah, I was thinking that the way that you could do it is once you've captured the control point, have that D20, which normally is the Doomsday Counter counting down, count up. Count up to the 100% victory yeah, thing. Yeah, because at least one of the game modes in Overwatch is a single King of the Hill style control point where the longer you control it, the more points you get. And so you could do exactly the same thing with this sort of Overwatch mobile frame hack, where when you control the point, every round, your dice ticks up, and the first team whose die ticks all the way up to 20 wins. That's really surprisingly elegant. That was... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean... And when, then, you were, and... when you were saying, we're going to hack this robot tactics game... Yeah. I, I was willing to hear it, certainly, but I was go- thinking that there'd be a lot to do. No, it seems like so- there's not actually that much to do, except for the creation of the characters. Yeah, and so character creation. In Noble Frame Zero, it's really interesting, and it's, it is itself pretty elegant, um, although it does require that you own a lot of dice of different colors, which I know that you do. <laughs> I own a lot of dice of different colors. Every mobile frame has four systems. Every mobile frame is made up of a group of systems. They each get four, but you can pick and mix and match how many of each type of system you want. So you have defensive systems that give you extra defense dice, movement systems that give you extra movement dice, surveillance systems which give you different uh, spotting dice, and then hand-to-hand combat, direct fire, and artillery systems that give you attack dice. So you can mix and match. So you make, like, two defense, one surveillance, and one direct fire would give you a pretty basic tankier build. And and sometimes the difference between one die in a system and two die in a system gives you unlocks some abilities. So for the example they give that I remember is if you have one defensive die, then you get to use that die for defense, and you're a little bit of a tankier dude. If you have two defensive systems, then you can be used as cover by another frame. Which is ideal for any of the tank units within the game. Yeah, and so you already have a lot of characters like Reinhardt, who is a big dude, who has a big shield that he deploys. And so you almost don't even need to have a mechanic for that shield, you just have, he's a two defensive systems character, and you would define that one of those systems is armor and one of those systems is his shield. Right, and then while you are describing it, you are showing the things as they happen instead of just saying, I roll my two dice to use my defensive system. Yeah, and so then the way that you... The game is complicated, and you should definitely go look at the book. Uh, I'll include a link in the show notes. It's not expensive, and it's totally worth it. Uh, I actually bought a physical copy of the book, too, because it's a really elegant book. And I was right about to say, when you were getting that book, I was having some major jealousy. It's it's gorgeously put together. It's beautiful. And, and the, in the back of the book, they have 
guides for how to build some of the standard uh, frames. And that's it, what I was mostly remembering. And it really brings me back to my childhood of sitting down on Christmas morning, a bunch of new Lego guides and building new things. Um, and so... I'll let you know he's tearing up a little bit right now. Yeah. Yeah. He's getting pretty emotional. Um, or he's got allergies. Yeah. One of the two. Definitely one of the two. Um, and... So without so you should look at the rules. They're really cool. There's a very interesting system by which you bounce back and forth between tactical and combat um, turn order. The game is cool, and you should definitely go look it up. We're not going to get into that now. Um, maybe at some point I would like to actually write up a, a full Overwatch document. What I would really like to do for this product, to me it seems like, is just define how many dice each yeah, one would and, have. And because... I don't know about you, but I'm no Lego master. I cannot create all of those guys. Yes. So without getting into the details okay. of the system, you have all these different systems which grant you different dice. And then you have and then every frame gets two wild card dice, which you can place in another system. And when your frame gets queued up or your character gets queued up to act, you roll all your dice. And then that those are the values you can use. So if you have two defense dice, because you're Reinhardt, uh, you roll those two blue d6s to be your defensive dice, and then you have two to choose from. And so when someone attacks you, you assign that, that die to your character, and that's your defense for the turn. The more die you have, the more ability you have, or the, more, the higher the probability you'll get a higher number, but it does fluctuate. So you will have rounds where your shield goes down, or where whatever. Because sometimes you're playing with someone who's really good, and sometimes yeah. you're playing with me. And so I think that's the kind of the level of granularity of detail that is interesting. And so you don't have to have, like, necessarily an ability that lets you do this. and Or, like, but it, it just, like, it, let, it gives you the variance in the playing abilities of the different characters through those dice variants between every turn. So one of the things I'd like to do is come up with some stat blocks for at least a couple of the characters... And and one yeah, of the things absolutely. that I think that they need above and beyond the basic rules for um, Mobile Frame Zero is I'd like to find some way to incorporate the ultimate attacks that, that the characters get. I was going to bring that up. Those make a huge difference in terms of defining yeah. the feel of the and game. And a lot of times they're very important to the character. Abilities in the game, for people who don't know, are different things the characters can do. You're moving around with WASD and shooting and stuff with uh, your mouse clicks, and you can hit E and Shift and a couple other keys to do special abilities that are beyond the just general shooting. Um, and they have short cooldowns, but they're designed to be activated frequently. So for most of those Shift and E abilities, we'd be looking at essentially the systems. Uh, yeah, I was thinking that you wouldn't necessarily... Not necessarily as things that you pop in yeah. the game, so much as you are playing yeah. as D.Va who is my bae, and she has a button that you press that gives her a, yeah, a secondary she has defensive, a defensive system. Systems. Okay. Or, like, I keep coming back to Reinhardt, a really obvious tank character, and so he has a rocket hammer. So there's one melee attack system. He has a barrier field, which is his big shield. So that's probably represented by two defensive systems, because he's a big defensive guy. And then... Yeah, he's got buttloads and of he HP has, also. Yeah, and, and then he has... Two more abilities, a charge ability and fire strike, which is a, um, a ranged attack 
that is probably not really going to be easily translated into this. So I was thinking he would probably have a movement die. Part of this is also just accepting theming yeah. as you go forward. And it, instead of saying, I move forward and I attack, you might say, I do my charge yeah. forward. Um, and then his ultimate is a, it's called Earthshaker. And it's a stun that knocks people on their feet. And so I was thinking that for things like the regular abilities that you use, just incorporate those into the systems for theming, and then that I would want to try mm -hmm. to incorporate the ultimate abilities into some ability system. And there were kind of two ways that I was thinking about this. Mobile Frame Zero has limited use weapons. You have to have three single-fire rockets on your frames and they do higher damage but you only get three of them and so i was okay. thinking you could have every character in your overwatch mobile frame zero game have one or two consumable things that would represent their ultimate okay uh so in dungeons and dragons fourth edition uh a lot of the monsters had abilities that would recharge if you roll like you would roll a die at the beginning of the monster's turn and if you rolled a six then mm -hmm. it recharged i could see something yeah. like that working that if a character has been used then you roll a die if you get the high result or maybe if you maybe you add the number cumulatively until you hit a certain point then you get recharged or you could do when you roll enough sixes or something that would then trigger your ultimate that could make sense i could see that let's see what was diva's ultimate she is a like pro starcraft player who now drives a mech and she hurls her mech forward and it explodes in like this enormous explosion so one of the rules in the game is that you can choose to have fewer systems. And if you don't have okay. any attack systems, then your character moves faster. And so I was thinking, what if you incorporated D.Va's ability to sort of get out of her mech and explode, and then you have like a second... A second character sheet that is the much weaker running around thing. Yeah, it maybe has just one system in... Um, probably mobility her hitbox is tiny yeah i was thinking maybe it would have like one movement system and one direct fire system so she would only be a two system yeah. frame i could see direct fire and defensive her direct fire is pretty decent at that point and so you could make a you could make the explosion of her suit be maybe 2d8 like the equivalent of two big yeah. rockets and then she sticks around as like a smaller minifigure with just a movement die system and then you have your two white die that you roll, or maybe even make it one white die. This is getting a little nitty-gritty. I feel like that handles Overwatch as a match-based game. Mm -hmm. What about if you're trying to move it into a realm of adventures? Would you want to continue using Mobile Frame as the basis for it? Probably not. Mobile Frame doesn't really have a lot of rules for... Bending bars, lifting gates. So, without saying GURPS... How would you do the adventure game? I would do it... <laughs> um, I wasn't, <laughs> wasn't going to say GURPS. I was going to say uh, Apocalypse World. Okay. Apocalypse World is a game that is set in a future sort of beaten down Earth, which is kind of what the Overwatch world is already. Oh, you're not talking Powered by the Apocalypse. You are talking, I'm talking Apocalypse world. Vincent Baker's yeah. Apocalypse World first or second edition. Exactly. It's the the settings are not they're not identical but they're similar in theme, and then if you look at Apocalypse World powered by the Apocalypse style games, they are characters who have a series of moves 
moves that sound a lot like the abilities the characters have. I could see that. I'm not sure exactly how some of the characters would line up. I think that you've got quite a few potential gunluggers. Yeah, sure. Um, but I mean, that's, that's not necess—that's not necessarily the end of the world. Yeah, and um, and if you decide what you want your character to be doing, you might even find them more able to fit into it. And I think that Apocalypse World, in particular, and powered by the Apocalypse games in general, deal really well with taking things like. I'm a big character who has a giant hammer or I'm a cool western gunslinger mm-hmm. and takes them and gives and makes those abilities that are both interesting in combat in like a an attack role but also can be used outside of combat the moves structure for a role playing game is very um it's varied in its use case yeah i'm I liked the idea of taking the the abilities the characters have in the game of Overwatch and trying to translate those into moves for character like playsets for Apocalypse World and even if that game itself even if that game itself didn't play the sort of tactical moment to moment shooter that Overwatch did you could easily yeah. have the sort of grand behind the scenes adventures that Overwatch and characters in theory have between matches and then when you get into that combat switch over to the mobile frame zero, pull out your Lego miniatures, and get started. Yeah, I'm actually thinking that for each of the characters, you could essentially come up with a single move in order to differentiate them. Yeah. Uh, Because a lot of the basic moves are the stuff that all of them are doing. Yeah. But if you establish that Torjborn can make a turret, or May can freeze people, then that might be separating enough. At the risk of... I guess I haven't really talked about it too much on this podcast, but the other way you could do this is fate. Mice? Not mice. <laughs> <laughs> the other way you could do this is fate, because there's very little that you can't do with fate. When I hear aspects of characters and moves, I think fate. Fate might be the easiest way to do it, actually. Just taking, like, looking at the moves that they have, and it's like, oh, this guy has five things he does. Well, he has five aspects. Yeah. I don't know if you know this, Brandon, but fate is the easiest way to do everything. Fate is the easiest way to do everything, it's... but that doesn't necessarily mean it's the right way to do fate everything. Fate is the right way to do everything. James, I'm, fate is not I'm, the right way I'm to gonna do everything. I'm going to put this down in writing, in audio form. Fate is the greatest game ever made. Everybody, James is hijacking this podcast. He's not going to include any of my comments. Send help. Stop hacking fate. It's just me no. talking about fate Please, no. forever. I don't have strong beef with with fate. I also don't have strong love of fate. I think I probably need to work on it and grok the rules a little bit better. So we talked about this before in that in that vignette. There's an interaction between Reaper and Winston where Reaper like is standing over Winston's Winston's beaten down body and Winston says, "I'm not a monkey, I'm a scientist." And "I'm not a monkey, I'm a scientist" is an aspect that is 100% a fantastic aspect. I can't even pretend otherwise. Yeah, and so that's where just... The, there are things in Overwatch that are just aspects. As long as you are doing sort of out-of-combat character type things, the aspect system is great. And so then when you get to the point where you would need to use the skills to do combat, just switch to a different system, like Mobile Frame Zero, and play with Legos. <laughs> because again, I love switching systems to represent frame shifts in games. And I think this is actually something that would benefit from a major frame shift. Yeah. When your barbarian in the tavern decides to start a fist fight, that's one thing. When your 
playing Overwatch and it's like now we're in an arena and we're protecting a thing. Yeah, and, and in that feels like a major shift. In the story of the Overwatch universe, those frame shifts are delineated by we're in a a ship and we're traveling to this combat zone and now we're on the combat zone. Let's go do combat. And presumably there are meetings and different interactions between the characters before the combat. For the characters, there's a shift. Right. In the game, when you're sitting around before the match starts, we'll talk to each other sometimes. They don't really talk to each other during the match. Sometimes those beginning sections super feel like they're actually having some conversations, yeah. too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's great. I enjoy the heck out of that. Okay, so is so our final message, yeah. then, is, and I can't believe I'm going to say this. Lego's, Lego's the best. Fate's the second Lego. best. Lego... <laughs> Is you're going to use fate for character interactions that are not your in-arena combat and mobile frame zero, and we'll throw up some kind of specs for that. So, any last thoughts about Overwatch as a role-playing game, James? I think it's good. It's a little bit limited by the fact that the characters are... We interact with them mostly while they're in combat. And there are a couple of those vignettes that you can watch where you can see them outside of combat. But I would like to see Blizzard release some more stuff so we can get a better sense of what the characters are like outside of combat. Yeah, I think there's probably enough from each of the characters to get an idea, to get a good ball rolling. And we might see from Blizzard down the line some kind of... I know they did comic books for Team Fortress 2. Okay, so I think that's it for Overwatch and as a pen and paper game. I'm sure that both you and I will keep thinking and tweeting about this. Because, as we previously said, Overwatch is pretty much our whole lives now, outside of work. It is really concerning. Um, and so we'll, have, we'll publish this episode alongside those stat blocks, hopefully. And when you get to, when you get to look at them, let us know. Uh, send me more pictures of Overwatch characters made out of Legos. You can email us at either James or Brandon at stophackandroll.com. As always, check us out on our website at stophackandroll.com. Uh, you can tweet at me at and the meltdowns, and I'm at Doctor Captain Cobalt. And come play Overwatch with us. My Blizzard handle is Meltdown number eighteen thirty one, and I'm Doctor Capt D R C A P T Cobalt K O B O L D number one five two eight. And as you're playing Overwatch, don't forget to stop, pack, and roll. I had Chinese food for lunch today, and this was my fortune cookie. Okay. But I edited it a little bit. It says, a smile can always overcome the barrier of language. And I crossed off the word language and wrote Reinhardt.